Last week, we started a series uh, with a different style of preaching. It's called expository preaching. And I want to just remind us, and mentioned this last week, but I, there's some that missed because of the snow last week, that expository preaching does a bunch of things. It, it really focuses the subject matter on, entirely on God's Word, puts a congregation on a Bible track, it puts value on God's Word, it proclaims and explains and then applies what the Bible teaches, and and then number five, it trains others, it trains you how to study the Bible. And I encourage you last week to bring your Bibles to church. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles that you can just take, or you know, whether it's on your uh, iPad or on your phone, uh, make sure you've got a copy of God's Word, and then also a pen in hand. Because as we track through these uh, verses through the book of 1 Corinthians, which we'll be studying, which we started last week, we want you to be growing and to sharpen your skills as a believer. And I believe that all of us, we want to take you from where you are today to a higher level, uh, to go deeper with the Lord. And uh, 1 Corinthians is a perfect opportunity for us to do that. When I think about Corinthians, the, the first Corinthians, the, the book as a whole, it's a very interesting book. Very interesting book. It's a letter written by Paul, we talked about this last week, uh, to a church that he planted and then he left. Uh, he felt like the Lord was calling him to go to Jerusalem. And three years later, he sends the letter, 1 Corinthians. It's actually the second letter to the Corinthian church. He sends this letter back in response to some questions and to some things that he has heard uh, that are happening within the church. The church in Corinth could be described as the best and the worst church. And really, as we'll see over the next several weeks as we unveil this, there are components of the Corinthian church that are awesome, other components that are not so great. Now, as for the city of Corinth, we said last week that it was the most sinful city of the time. It was the Vegas of our modern world, or like a red light district. In fact, to be called a Corinthian in that time frame, you were, uh, it was to say that you were sexually immoral. And if you were a woman and called a Corinthian, it meant that you were a prostitute. And then the church is planted right in the midst of all that. And we said last week that the church was in crisis they were hurting. There were lawsuits in the church. They were divorced. They were dealing with uh, this whole grace and liberty discussion. They were abusing the grace of God. They had idolatry issues. They, they couldn't get the Lord's Supper right. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, it says that their meetings did more harm than it did good. Their meetings were so bad that Paul is saying it would be better if you didn't meet at all. Can you imagine? And the biggest problem was that they mirrored society. They could not seem to detach themselves from the culture that they were living in. They were desensitized to sin. They were weak and anemic in many ways. And if we were honest, if we took a good look at the American church, maybe not the gateway church, but the American church as a whole, that really describes the vast majority of American churches, doesn't it? Weak, anemic, desensitized to sin, struggling with culture. And that's why it's so important for us to get a handle 
on 1 Corinthians to study it and to say, okay, God, how can we apply this in our lives? And I said last week that our goal in this whole process, my goal is to study and to, to bring uh, to a divided word to line by line, precept upon precept, and then to bring this relevant and uh, an application each week so we can walk out of here stronger. We can have more focus on what God wants us to do. And we started last week with the introduction, which was really awesome. If you weren't here, I want to just uh, encourage you to get online, listen to the message. It is worth it. It's an encouragement. We looked at verses 1 through 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it, despite all the trouble that the Corinthian church was in, there were all these problems. Paul reminds the church personally and corporately, he declares who they are in Christ. He says, look, you, are, you may be struggling, and we're going to get to that, but don't forget who you are. He talks about God's grace in their life. He talks about the spiritual gifts that are afforded them. He talks about the fact that they lack nothing, that they're sanctified, that they're called out, that they're a holy church. And I said last week, what a way to start 2014, to declare those things over our own lives. And I just want to encourage you to keep this sheet that we gave out last week on the forefront of your mind, to be able to declare the things of God that God says about you as a believer. When you give your heart to the Lord, everything that's on this sheet is true about you. And it's so important for us to get a hold of that. So today we're going to transition more into the body of the letter. And it really deals, we're going to start to deal with the major theme, the first theme in 1 Corinthians. This theme will actually take us from verse 10 all the way to chapter 4, verse 21. Don't worry, we're not going to try to uh, uh, do all of that in one day. But I want you to notice as we read these verses today, that Paul, as he writes, he's very personable. He speaks as if he's family. He calls them brothers. And, they, and he also acknowledges who he is and that the authority that he speaks is from Jesus. And he acknowledges that he's an apostle, that Christ is the one who has commissioned him to speak the things that he's saying. So what I want you to do is to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to stand with me. We're going to do this every week. We're going to stand and to honor God's word as we hopefully rightly divide it. So everyone stand and once you find 1 Corinthians, if you don't have a copy of God's word, we encourage you to grab one in the back. I'll be preaching primarily from the NIV, although we may interject other versions uh, through the time. Um, through different times and different verses. But let's read what God's Word says to us because what we said last week, don't forget, it says in verse 1, or verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, but we could put to the church of God in West Michigan or to the church of God, Ben Vey, or put your name there. This letter is for you. This letter is for us as the body of Christ. And he says in verse 10, he says, I love this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Just pause for a second. Look at those words just for a second. That we would be perfectly united in mind and thought. 
And then verse 11 says, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there were quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And obviously those answers are retort. No. Verse 14 says, I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one could say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And then verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the word, to preach the gospel, not with human words and human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you today. Lord, I'm excited about what you are doing here at the Gateway Church. And Lord, I believe that this word is timely for today. And God, I pray that it would speak loud and clear. God, that you would capture our hearts and our minds and that your word would be applied in each of our lives. Lord, change us, mold us for your glory, for your honor. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. As I was thinking about these verses and really the theme here of division or quarrels in the church, my guess is that 100% of us have personal experience with what Paul is discussing here in 1 Corinthians and in these verses. That you have dealt with destructive quarrels within the church in various ways. Maybe a church split or a church fight or power struggles or maybe you've dealt with an antagonist spirit or like some would like to call a Jezebel spirit. Maybe you've seen it firsthand and dealt with it and you you can look back and you say, oh, I know exactly what you're thinking or what Paul is talking about. Or maybe you've just heard about it, but none of us here are immune to this idea that there are troubles, quarrels, division at times within the church. How many would agree that it is tragic when that is the case? You say, why is that the case? Well, I want you to turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, gives us an idea. Look at what it says. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Answering the question I just asked. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. What James is saying here is that there's evil desires within us. There is a sin nature that each and every one of us have to get our arms around. And then he says in verse 2 there at the end, he says, you need to pray for God's help in this area. Pray that God helps you. Because quarrels within the body of Christ, within the church context, how many know it affects people? It affects people deeply. It robs people of joy personally. It robs the church of its testimony And it goes against the high standard that Paul sets in 1 Corinthians verses 10 through 17 that we are to be perfectly united 
with God. As Paul writes, he's beginning the letter. He's heard these reports, letters sent back and forth from him to where he was, uh, and he's sending letters back and forth. And he starts with the most important issue, division in the church. And the reason he hits it hard right up front is because he knows that it will affect everything within the church. You can have the best doctrine, but with division, it does not matter. You could have the best talent within the church, but with division, it does not matter. You could have the best facilities, and that's something we struggle with a little here, but with division, it does not matter. We could have the best kids ministry. Deb, you and, you and Pete could have the kids and the youth ministry growing and uh, exciting and fun, but with division, do you realize that we would be dead in our tracks. It's true and it's sad that a church that has division will not go forward. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, just the opposite is true, which is cool. And when you study that verse, if we are loving and caring, if we embrace who we are in Christ, if there is unity, it will affect the world. There is power when people come together, when they come together, it's a force to be reckoned with. And so we've got 1 Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians, and Paul is affirming who they are. He's saying, look, act like who you are. And then he deals with this division. Why? Because if a church is divided, it can do very little. And let's look at this starting in verse number 10. It says this, notice uh, that he's dealing with behavior here. He says this, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. He says, I appeal. He He doesn't say, I'm bringing down the hammer, or watch out, or I'm really mad, or he doesn't say, you idiots, what's wrong with you? He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I I, I see love here. I see. And then he says, look, by what authority? He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you. There's authority there. And what does he want? He's saying, look, that all of you would agree with one another. Really? Is that what Paul really expects from the church, that they would agree on everything? And then he goes on. He says, He says, and that there may be no divisions among you, that you'd be perfectly united in mind in Christ. That word divisions there is to tear apart. Or metaphorically is to have split opinion. It's interesting. You say, are we really supposed to have the same opinion? I mean, that sounds like being brainwashed, doesn't it? But I believe the answer is absolutely yes. On the things that matter, those things that God's word describes that are crystal clear, we need to have the mind of Christ. Well, how many opinions does God have about big topics, about lying or stealing or immorality? There's only one opinion from God. And we find it in God's word, don't we? And then we are encouraged to have the mind of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But then it says, But we, believers, have the mind of Christ. 
And so in verse 10 here, we're dealing with this attitude primarily saying, you know, I want you to think the same way. Paul is saying, look, it's this important. He's reminded, I'm sure, of what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. What happened? Turn with me there real quick to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What's interesting, it says that they were all together, and then they almost like repeat says in one place. He could have said they were in one place, but it says they were all together in one place. One place, one accord. In the Greek there, the idea is that there was one temperature. Not just physically in one place, but they had the same passion. They were on the same page. They had the same attitude. They were in one heart, one mind. And the result of Acts chapter 2 is that it shook the world. It made an incredible impact. It wasn't a doctrinal statement that made the impact. It wasn't the 16 fundamental truths. It was unity being in one direction, one authority, that the vision, the mission, and they brought all that together, and it was powerful. It's so critical that Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians church, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Look what it says. He says, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's saying, don't forget the unity. It's that important. It's most important. And can I just pause here for a second and take a look at the Gateway Church? We believe and we have experienced really the favor of God in 2013 like never before. How many would agree that God is moving here at the Gateway Church? Yeah? And you know, part of that as I reflect on it, is that there is incredible unity here at the Gateway Church. Unity on our staff. Deb, you can speak to that. Bonnie, you can speak to that. Um, we, there's, we, we are together. The board, we got some board members trickled through. The board, we are unified, aren't we, guys? And I'll tell you, that's so important. And the congregation, and I, look at, I look at you guys, and I see unity as we are walking this journey. And I recognize that it's my job to safeguard unity. I need to protect that. I need to be watchful for that. But you know, it doesn't stop with me. It's the board's job as well to safeguard unity. It's the staff's job to safeguard unity here at the Gateway Church. But you know what? It is your job to safeguard unity as well. It's that important. And Paul is getting at that here in verse 10. He's saying, be very careful. You're saying, well, what if I don't see eye to eye with someone or with something? What we should do is have a dialogue. There are proper channels to bring those concerns, to talk with a board member or a staff member. And our expectation, just so you know, is that you would respond with spiritual maturity The goal, ultimately, is unity. And so we ask that you would come to us and say, hey, in the truth of the matter, that our growth will be stunted if there's disunity, if there's quarreling, if there's fighting, if there's power struggles. Those things will become poison if we're not careful. 
Now, some of you are saying, oh, man, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes, right? Is there some problem here? Is there, you know, is there disunity? And I can honestly stand here before God and before you, and the board would agree, and the staff. There, we are not dealing with issues of disunity at the church. This is more preventative than anything. But I want you to know that the goal, that the goal we have is really based, I love what it says in Psalm 133. Turn with me there. This is incredible. Listen to this story or this idea of unity. In Psalm 133, this is David. He's saying, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How awesome it is. How incredible. It is something special. It is something rare. It's like a precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, this refreshing. And then what does it say? For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's an incredible picture. And my heart is for you and my heart for even for me. And I was praying this morning, Lord, search my heart, search my mind. Lord, forgive me if there's any uh, any divisiveness in my heart. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me of any disunity because the bottom place is we all must, I believe, find a place, a church, a, a local expression of God where there is unity. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 11, number 11. Verse number 11 says, my brothers, again, he's saying, boy, you know, I, I love you. You're family. I, I care for you. And then he says, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Quarrels among you. Now, just think about the things within the church that people may quarrel about. I mean, the list could be never-ending, really. I mean, there are things as petty as, you know, carpet colors or paint colors or design. Maybe if something changes within a service or, you know, times or different things or sacred cows, which we would call programs, you know, within the church and, uh, or different personalities. There are a lot of things that could emerge that could kind of rise to the top that we could bicker and complain about or quarrel about. Am I right? There are all kinds of things that could emerge. And what was emerging at this time in the Corinthian church that Paul is, ad- is addressing primarily in this text is the personalities. They were saying in verse 12, he says that some were saying, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, another I follow Christ. And when I think about that, I think about the Apostle Paul. He was an incredible theologian. He was smarter than any of the other apostles by far. He was brilliant. He was studied. He was uh, prepared to share when it came to doctrine and theology, bar none. He was number one. Then there's Apollos. If you read through the, uh, the, the account of Acts, Apollos was probably considered the most eloquent communicator of the time. He was gifted. He was, uh, he was very, very good at what he did. 
and some attached to him and were saying, you know what? I follow Apollos. Man, he's a great speaker. Look at him. Others were saying Cephas, which is actually Peter. They're looking back to the day of Pentecost, perhaps, Acts chapter 2, and there were tongues of fire when Peter spoke, uh, resting on people's heads. And 3,000 people came to the Lord. They're saying, hey, I follow Cephas. And others were saying, I follow Christ with maybe some pride behind that. And there's this competition. They're acting like mere men. And Paul is saying, get your eyes off people. This will cause division. Get your eyes off people. And he goes into verse 13. And he asks a question. This is the crux of it. We see the principle here. He's saying, look, is Christ divided? And of course, the answer is no. The principle is seen here and all throughout the New Testament. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Interesting verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Listen to what it says. It says, this is Paul later on in this same letter. He's saying the body is a unit. The church is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though it is, all of its parts are many, they form one body. Everyone say one body. That's so important. But then what it says, so it is with Christ. That's the way it is with Christ. That Christ is not divided. He is one. In other words, what, by what basis do you stand, Paul is saying. And then he brings this personally. He says personally, back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's saying, look, was Christ, is Christ divided? And then he said personally, he said, well, did I die for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into my name, into our name? We see this in verse 13. And of course, the answer is no. But back to 12, 12 of 1 Corinthians, the church is to be united, to stand as one. And Paul did not save you, he's saying. And just for the point of reference, no pastor or speaker or leader has saved you. He says our alliance is with Christ. The church is to be one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as it is with Christ. Now I want to pause here just for a moment. Because we, I want to encourage each and every one of us to really consider what this means for you. And for you to get into a place where you can be one. This is critical. Now, I do believe there are times to leave a church. I, I do. If there's false doctrine or something unbiblical or maybe a liberalism, it's time to leave that church. You don't wait and say, oh, my family's still there. Or I got friends there. No, you leave that church. If you're in a dead mainline church, I would say get out of that church. I would say if you're in a dead Assemblies of God church or Pentecostal church, get out of that church. If you cannot support the leadership, I would say leave and leave quietly and gracefully. Some would say, and I've seen this, boy, especially back in Dayton and maybe a little here in the earlier days, 
Some would say, oh, no, this is my church. And they would, they would say that with all sorts of love and affection. And then if you said, no, is it really your church? They'd say, no, but they feel that. And they'd say, oh, I'm just going to wait it out. You know, you know, the pastors, they come and they go, and I'll just, I'll just wait for the next one that I can get behind. And I'm saying, no, that's poison. Church, if you cannot support the philosophy and the direction of the church, can we just say together, that's okay? Go to the leadership, and if you can't align, maybe there's another place. We're all on God's team. Amen? So the goal is to be one. And the goal is that we would be excited and wanting to be a part. And if not, this is not the only game in town. This is not the only place where God is moving. And so tell the leadership where you're going and why. And I believe that can be extremely healthy for you and for the body of Christ. And just, there's one more thing on my heart. If the only thing you can do is come and to be a part of a church and criticize, and I, really, there's not a problem with this, I, I can guarantee you, but if that's the case, it's better to leave. It, it just is. It's like a cancer that spreads. It's poison. It is not healthy. It is toxic. You say, boy, that's pretty strong. Well, that's what Paul is trying to get at here. And he's saying, why? In, 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 this, in uh, verse 13, he's saying, look, the priority is unity. The priority is not anybody's personality. It's not about Ben Vey or any of the staff members or the leaders. It's not about any of us individually. It's about God at work within us. And that's what I want you to see. Let's look at verses 14, 15, and 16 kind of continues that same line of thinking. Look at verse 14. It says, I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. This is not Paul degrading the baptism. What he's saying, it's not about personalities. Kind of that same idea. Baptism was important. You can see and track with Paul through his, uh, through his ministry that they were, he was encouraging people to be saved, to be baptized, and it was encouraged, but he was not the one that primarily did it. And he didn't do most of the baptizing because he didn't want the type of trouble that the Corinthian church was falling into. He's saying, look, the point is, you came to Christ, right? You accepted Christ. Follow Christ. That's what's important. And then in verse 17, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, the gospel not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What I want you to see here is that there is power in the message of the cross. There is incredible power, not in human thinking or human wisdom. There is a liberating power that comes from Christ when there's one goal, one mission, one purpose, one priority, when we come together and we say we are here to glorify God, to reach the lost, there is an incredible power that comes with that. Do we realize that? 
So our job, my job, is to disciple you, to help us grow so that we, the body, can reach the lost. And I believe that that will bring glory to God. Amen? Amen. There are really three takeaways that I'm hoping to, uh, for you to kind of get your mind around. And I want to talk about these things. And really, uh, didn't really even make the connection to our vision statement till this morning as I was praying and just kind of meditating on the message. But uh, I want you to see, the first thing is that when a church is unified, there is stability. This is huge. There is health. And I believe that there is unlimited potential when the church is unified. This is huge, church. We cannot underestimate the unity piece. We are called to love the church enough to protect it. Because, you know, there are people on the edge. There are people that you know with and rub shoulders with that are not sure about the church or about Christianity or about the message of the cross. And if you are bad-mouthing or criticizing behind someone's back and they pick up on that, ultimately, it's a reflection on Jesus. And what's important is that we are protecting. Don't poison someone else. The way that this takeaway is written is a very positive, but if you said it in a negative way, without unity, the church loses stability. And that's true equally. And how many of us want to be a part of a stable church? I know I do. I believe it's God-honoring. So church, let's protect the unity of the church. Number two, when the church is unified, they have a voice. We can make an impact in our community and in our world all across the globe when we're unified. But when there are church splits or quarrels, power trips, control, how many know that the church loses their voice? Their focus is not on the mission or the vision. It becomes inward and it affects everything. And so church, we want to have a voice. We are called here to the lakeshore to have a voice. And we must be unified. So not only is there stability, that we would have a voice when there's unity, but then number three, ultimately, when the church is unified, the church wins. We win. God wins. There's victory when there's stability, when the church has a voice, when there's unity. Without the unity, the church will lose the battle. And I've, I'm not beating anybody up, but how many have heard of churches closing or struggling that are anemic or weak? No wonder Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 1.10 that the goal is to be perfectly unified. And he's recognizing this and he's saying, church, the people he loved, he's saying, don't forget who you are, but don't forget who you're following. There's got to be unity. 
And so my prayer for you personally and for myself is that we would purge any attitudes or actions or thoughts that are not unified. Let me say that again. My prayer is that we would purge our attitudes and actions and thoughts that are not unified. Again, we would cry out to God, Lord, search my heart and my mind. Lord, help me. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. And I believe it starts personally in each of our hearts that God would do a work in our heart. If this is an issue or has been an issue, we need to seek the face of God. We need to know from God where we are. But then not only personally, I want you to get this picture of corporately the power of the gospel that could go forward when there is unity. And I want you to get a taste of that and desire that like you desire chocolate and couldn't keep your hands off of it. (laughs) I say that I've cut chocolate out of my diet for this fast and I'm dying. Someone gave me chocolate this morning from, uh, from Japan and said, oh, it just melts in your mouth. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> February 10th. <laughs> but I believe that our vision will be accomplished when we get a hold of this concept, that there would be incredible unity. Amen? Amen. I ran across this A little illustration, you may have seen it before. It's in a Peanuts cartoon where Lucy comes in, barges in the room, and demands that Linus change the TV channel, threatening him with her fist if he didn't, right? And Linus says, what makes you think that you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy says, these five fingers individually they're nothing but when I curl them together like this into a single unit they form a weapon that is terrible to behold (laughs) and Linus says which channel do you want (laughs) and then he turns away and this is pretty insightful he looks at his own fingers and he says why can't you guys get it together and get organized like this And the fact is, is there are a lot of churches that look at their systems, they look at their organizational structure, they look at their leadership, they look at their congregations, and it's all these fingers doing their own thing instead of being unified, coming together with power and with strength. And my heart for you is that you would be unified in your own life, that there'd be unity in your homes and my prayer that together that we would get together in one accord just like Acts chapter 2 verse 1 can you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as you think about this and maybe as you've been listening this morning it's very possible that you have struggled in this area of your life maybe you look at your life and there's uh, disunity, there's division, there's disorder. And I just want to speak a word into your life. I believe that God would say, let's get together. Let's get rid of all of the disunity. Purge the attitude, 
the action and the thoughts that are not unified. And his heart for you would be for you to search your heart and say, God, forgive me. Help me. Heal the relationships. Help me to move forward with one heart, one purpose. And if that's, if you're here today and that just relates to you, I'm not going to call you out, but would you just slip your hand and say, boy, that really ministers, that really speaks to my heart this morning. Just slip up your hand right where you are. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, help us. Lots of hands. Because the reality of what this is talking about it goes deep. And we all, none of us started this church. It was God that started back in 2001. And there were very few here that were even there at that point. So we've all come from different places. And maybe we brought in hurt or pain or struggle. And maybe we still wrestle in our minds in these areas. And I just want to encourage you, church that we can get our minds together, our fingers working together to make an impact, to make a punch in this community. I believe that's God's heart. That's what God wants. The other thing I just want to make sure before we, before we head out of here is that you may be here this morning and you are away from Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. And when we talk about, is Christ divided? You're saying, boy, I'm not even aligned with Christ yet. And if that's the case, there's no reason why you should walk out of these doors without giving your heart to Jesus. It's the best decision you would ever make in your whole life. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel, God's word, says that Jesus, he died for us, took our sins, was buried, then rose again. He did all this so that we could live together with him, that he could take our place. The punishment we deserve, even for one sin, he took upon his back so that we don't have to be guilty. If you're here this morning and that's where you are, and you're far away from God, Maybe you served him at one time, but you're coming back. Or maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand? And again, I'm not going to pull you out or embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. Is there anyone here this morning saying yes to Jesus? Saying, that's where I am today. Anyone at all? Saying, God, help us. God, help me. that you'd stand this morning. We're going to end with a little uh, um, opportunity to uh, express unity together. And we're going to do that by taking the hand of the person next to you and even across the aisles, all right? We're just going to kind of do this. We'll do this both services. So just kind of make your way across and Brett, yours are really stretched. <laughs> you guys in the back, just take a hand, and uh, Brent and I will hear in just a second. And this is 
the picture that, that the Lord has put in my heart, that we would stand together as one. And if we get a hold of this message, there's nothing that will stop us. Some, someone asked recently, how big do you think the church, the Gateway Church, will grow? You know, honestly, I don't know. But I do know this, that if there's disunity, it'll be stifled. It'll die. We'll be dead in our tracks. But if we embrace this picture, there's nothing that can stand against us. We can do this. We can make an impact. We can be healthy. We can multiply. We can grow. We can be known for making an impact in this community and across the across the globe. Do you believe it? I believe it with all my heart, with all my soul. So let's, let me pray. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon us, that you would protect us. Lord, that you would challenge us. Lord, that we would see your heart and walk it out. That there would be no fractions no division. Lord, that we would stand together as one as you have encouraged us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and really through chapter 4. God, I pray that we'd get a hold of this picture. And God, as we stand with our hands hand in hand, this is the body of Christ, a picture that we can work together that we can work it out. And God, when there is trouble, when there is concern, I pray that we would handle those uh, concerns with spiritual maturity and that we would do it for your glory, for your honor. And God, as I look at this picture, I see an incredible force. Just like that Linus or that Peanuts illustration, all these fingers, all these individuals coming together as one, one unit, one body, strong in the Lord. God, let it be at the Gateway Church. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Awesome. This morning, the altars are open. If you want to come and spend some time with the Lord, if you need to be prayed for, we'll anoint you with oil. If you're standing in healing, please don't just cruise um, without spending some time with the Lord. If you have to go, we understand. Go in the grace of God. We love you. God bless you as you go. And uh, wait to talk until you're out in the lobby. This is a place of prayer. If you need prayer for anything, come. We want to give you that opportunity. God bless you. We love you.